So good to be here with you this morning, and some of my favorite people on the planet are here, so that's awesome. I'm glad you're here, and glad we get to just share this experience together. I want to tell you something before I I jump into my sermon today. There's some things I just simply don't understand. One of the things that I don't understand is this, um, P.E., in school, PE. By the way, I was just thinking about this. I've been thinking about this all morning. I don't understand PE as far as in public education. I mean, I used to do it, but what I don't really understand about it is this. PE, it's like, why do you have to stretch before you do everything? Like, I just don't understand that. And I I was really confused thinking about some of you, because some of you are homeschooled. And I'm like, do you do PE? I don't even know. I, don't, I have no context, like no PE. And if so, is your mom your PE teacher? I mean, these things were across my mind a minute ago. But anyway, so PE, back in elementary school in Illinois, we used to have to do square dancing during PE. You guys too? Oh, did you like it? There's some no, there's some yeah, there's some I don't, I don't even know if I want to be honest right now. I like, I couldn't stand it. And here's the weird thing, like there's so many weird things about this and not just square dancing, it itself. We used to have to stretch before we would square dance. I'm like, it just does not even make sense. And so, so there's so many things about this that have scarred me. You know, the thing is, all the popular people, they would match up with somebody like boy, girl. And then there would always be the awkward people at the end. And that's where I would fit in. It's like whoever was left over. And that's who it was. And you just were hoping that you weren't like one of the leftovers. And then you had to like square dance with another guy because that was really weird. And I think that happened a couple times. I mean, we made it like it was kind of square dancing, part like WWE. I mean, it was it was one of those things. But all through, all through like elementary school and even in middle school and high school, I just want to be honest with you, I had like the weirdest PE teachers. I did. They were grown men who wore shorts that were not, like they were too short for the 70s, okay? They were just, they were, they were that short. And I think their actually mustaches were longer than their shorts were. So it was just really, really weird. And I'm not even positive, but I think they may have had spray tans. It's, they were at this point. Now you get the picture. Like so much about PE is weird to me. Then I, I think back and, and again, I really was thinking. It's like my mind just wonders. I'm like, what do homeschool people do? They just don't do PE or what? I don't know. Maybe it's mom. Anyway, so many times in our life that we get to instance, we, we get put in situations where we simply just don't understand what, why we have to do what we do. And I didn't understand, I still don't understand, why is it that we have to literally stretch and do calisthenics before square dancing? There is nothing that is physically demanding about dosi doing. There's just not, I'm sorry. I don't care if you do it all night, it's just not that demanding that requires you to stretch. Then my mind was wandering into this. I think it's so interesting in the scripture, what we're going to see today, is this is the this is the, the phrase, this is the mental picture that Peter is putting in his audience's mind about the way that Christians are supposed to love. He says that Christians are to be at full stretch, at full stretch, meaning that, that we're stretching and that we're growing. And, you know, and then I'm thinking, wow, what a picture. I mean, so many, you could go so many different directions with this about being at full stretch, but yet this is the terminology he uses. And then I'm thinking, well, why would he use this terminology? It's because people are hard to love, are they not? Like, am I the only person who looks into Scripture and says, love your neighbor as yourself? And I'm like, I know, but that's really hard because they're people. Like, the only thing wrong with loving people is the fact that we're called to do what? Love 
people. And like they're, they're difficult to love. I'm difficult to love. You're difficult to love. It's like, and yet this is what Peter is saying for us. We need to be a full stretch. And I want you to know, while there, I believe there's no real purpose as to why we need to do calisthenics before square dancing, our love is to be, our love is to be a full stretch because that is supposed to show the world something. And it is difficult. And the fact that people are difficult is the very reason why we need to be a full stretch. In a culture right now that, that, that puts out that actual animals have more rights than people. Think about this. At this time in our culture, animals have more rights than people. You can go to, you can go to jail quicker for harming an animal than you can harming a person. Think about this. At this stage in our culture, this is the time that our love should shine the most. And we have the greatest possibility for impact. And I know that people are hard to love. I know that sometimes we can become prideful and we look at the prodigals and we think, well, they should know better. Like, I'm just, I just, I'm not inclined to love them. They should know better. Like, because they should know better, it's like, no, no, no. It's because you think you know better. Or maybe you look at somebody who's a Pharisee or doing Pharisaical types of things. They're like, they're the rule, you know, they're the, they're the people keeping the rules, but they're hypocritical. On the outside, they look all, they all look all fixed up, but on the inside, you know that they're not right. And I know that those people are hard to love. And, and, and sometimes in church circles, these are the type of people that really come to the surface of our hearts that become really hard to love. Let's just be honest. It's the people that we believe are Pharisees or that we believe are prodigals. And it's these people within the body of Christ that we are compelled to love and everybody else. After all, the same gospel that saves us from work saves us for work. And part of that work is loving people well. Part of that work is loving people well. The same gospel that saves us from work, meaning having us having to work off our salvation... We don't have to work off our salvation because of the finished work of the cross, amen? And it's the same gospel that saves us and redeems us and it calls us and draws us and the Holy Spirit empowers us. It's the same God then that compels us and he saves us for work. And sometimes loving people is going to feel like work. It is. There are going to be times in your Christian life where you are called to love at full stretch and it's going to feel like the hardest thing to do. They're going to feel like the, the hardest people to love. And it's in that moment, it's with those people that you need to just commit to God and say, God, I can't, but you can. Show me, do for me what I can't do for myself. You see, the same gospel that saves us from having to work off our salvation, then frees us to work freely for him. And this is an opportunity that we have. This is what Peter would talk about in this passage in 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. Just the, the beauty of, of a life of love, a love that's rooted in Christ, a life that has been set free by the blood of Christ, a life that has been brought into the family of God, a life that is united in the Spirit. As a matter of fact, this is how Peter would begin this letter. If you would go into 1 Peter 3, I know it says 
uh, chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. We're going to get there in a minute. I just want us to, to read this, maybe even with fresh ears and see it with fresh eyes. Verse 3 says this, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. It's this Amazing work of God in and through us, bringing us into His family. And it's the same finished work of the cross that cleanses us by the blood of Jesus after we submit to the Lordship of Jesus and ask Him to be our Savior. It's the same God, so now the same love that that draws us now compels us to love one another, even if it feels like work. Now, in our main passage... We're going to continue on. We're going to see exactly what Peter is getting at. And he frames this. He frames this whole part of the discussion in verse 7. Let's let's tune into it. This is how he frames it. He says, the end of all things is near. This is the framework. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. In Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. He says, the end is near. This was a belief that that he had and also that many other people in the New Testament had. They believed that, that Jesus was going to return in their generation. Peter, Paul, John, James, Ringo, all of them, everybody thought that the end was near. So what was compelling them in verse 7, he says, hey, the end is near, so you need to pray. The end is near, you need to offer hospitality. They believed, because of some things that Jesus said, that the end was coming, that Jesus was going to return in their generation. And every generation since has also thought that Jesus has been returned you know, going to be returning into, which I thought was interesting as well. It's like every generation tends to think that, wow, the end is coming. It's in our generation. Look at all the signs. Look who the president is. Like all these things. This happens over and over and over. It seems like every other presidential cycle, it's like whoever, whoever the person is, you're like, ooh, could that be the one? Could that be the one? And we all get caught up in this. And Peter knows this. That's the reason why this message comes across like this. He says... Notice, again, notice what it says in verse 7. It says, the end of all things is near, therefore, so here's the connector word, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can do what? So you can pray. 
He says, be clear-minded and pray more effectively. Because if you're not clear-minded, if you're so caught up in what the the prophecies are going to be and the numerology and who the president is, and you're all caught up in all these things and say, no, no, these are the signs of the times. This is the the world is coming to an end. If this is, if you're all caught up in that, you're not going to pray. You're not going to be clear-minded. You're not going to be self-controlled. You're going to be, you're going to be, your mind's going to be muddy and you're not going to be clear-minded and you're not going to be self-controlled to pray for the things that we ought to pray for. I love how Peter, he just gets to this. He says, therefore, he says, the end, the end is near, and he believed that it was near. He says, therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. This word, being clear-minded, is the modern equivalent to keep cool. So if I can, I'll say it in this way. What Peter is trying to get to, he's like, keep cool and pray. Don't be all hot-headed. Just keep cool and pray. Just keep cool. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep cool. Even if the end is coming right now in our generation or the next generation, keep cool. Don't get caught up in all the affairs of the world. Just keep cool and pray. Just be clear-minded. Just keep cool and pray. When you're at work and everybody's all caught up in what's going on in the culture, just keep cool and pray. When you're overwhelmed about the things that are going on in your life or maybe something that's going on in in your family, just keep cool and pray. Keep clear-minded and pray. Keep your eyes on Jesus and pray. Stay self-controlled and pray. That's such a simple message, but very profound, isn't it? Because in our life, there's so many things trying to vie for our attention and our affection to keep us from praying. And Peter, he's saying, yeah, 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 yeah the end may be, it might be right here. We could be right on the, the crux of this thing. But it says, hey, therefore, it's like, even if it is, therefore, even if what's going on and what you're concerned about, even if those things are going on, he says, no, 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 keep cool and pray. But he doesn't stop there. He simply begins there. After saying, keep cool and pray, then he says something that we're going to drill down into in verse 8. He says, above all, love each other deeply. And that word deeply, it means at full stretch. That's what that means. Love each other deeply. The picture that Peter's trying to carry is like an athlete who is, is running and he's just about to cross the, the tape in, in first place and just about to cross the line. And if it were in slow motion, you'd be able to see every striation of the muscle stretching out and just everybody's just striving to try and hit that finish line. The same picture of a, of a horse at full gallop. Just think how lean and muscular a horse is when they're at full gallop, and just think of the picture, and again, the striations of the muscle and how they're flexing the tendons and everything. Amazing, amazing creatures. And this is what Peter is saying. He says, love needs to be like this at full stretch. Which is the first fill in the blank is this, love requires us to stretch. Love requires us to stretch. It requires us to, to get beyond ourselves. It requires us to get beyond what we're even comfortable with. 
It requires us to, to stretch out and, and, and to go farther and to love more deeply to be a full stretch. This is what love requires. And you can't love someone from afar. You have to love them up close. We're going to see that at the end of this passage. In Ephesians 3, we're going to see that when we are at full stretch, we're, we're being like Jesus. So Ephesians 3, 16 through 19 says this, I pray out of the glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. This is the basis of loving at full stretch is what what Paul is saying to know this love is to know the love of Jesus to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. This is the model for a Christian's love. And this love will stretch us. This love will stretch us to its limit as the demands grow and the stretch for us. This will just happen. It will stretch us to its limit, meaning it's going to be an ever-changing limit. And as the demands grow and they stretch us, you can just know that you're not, if you want to love people well, it's going to bring you in places that you're uncomfortable with. That's what a full stretch means. That you're not just going to be able to love people on your terms. You're going to have to love people where they are. That's going to make you and I uncomfortable. But it will stretch us to its limit, which is often beyond our limit. And that's the place of grace. And that's the place of the power of God, getting beyond ourselves. If you only love under the, the umbrella of the strength that you have, what would be the need of the Holy Spirit in your life? Think about this. But it's not. The the full stretch is a stretch beyond your capacity into the spiritual capacity of the Holy Spirit's dwelling within you. But also this love, it covers a multitude of sins right from the passage. Above all, love each other deeply at full stretch because love covers a multitude of sins. Christ In his love, he paid the price for our sins, right? This is the very thing that we are to now forgive other people's sins as we've been forgiven. It's what it says in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate and forgiving just as Christ has forgiven you. So as nasty as you were, as unforgivable that you think you were, and how unlovable you were, that is the very measure that now we were loving at full stretch or to be loving other people. Even the prodigals, even the Pharisees, everyone. And you know, the thing is, it's easy to love the people that that you like, isn't it? Like, that's just easier. It's harder to love the people that you tend to dislike. That's That's just a people thing. And we've got to learn to love them too. We've got to learn to love them too. I love this this quote that I ran across. Quote says this, 
It is the love of our brothers that brings us to their feet, and it's the grace of God that fills the basin for service. This is one of those quotes that just stopped me in my tracks. It's the love of our brothers, our brothers and sisters in Christ, that brings us to their feet to serve them. And it's the grace of God that fills the basin for service. Of course, this drawing back to, I believe one of the greatest signs, perhaps the greatest sign of humility, was when Jesus washed it as his disciples' feet. A messy thing, up close and very personal, ultimate sign of humility. Another thing we see about love is love does not keep score. Love does not keep score. Love does not keep score. If you could go to the left in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to look at verses 4 through 8, and we're going to see how love does not keep score. The love of a Christian does not keep score. Verse 4 says this, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, is what the verse says. Like this is, this is the love. And yes, this has more relevance than just at Christian weddings, in case you wondered, because this is like the common thing that you hear this passage in. But this is the very agape love that is to define us. This is to define every Christian. This, this love, and I realize we look at lists like this, we're like, love is patient. And it seems like every one of these things, you're like, this is impossible. This is more impossible. This is really impossible. This is absolutely impossible. And in your own power, perhaps it is. But with God's power, it is not. This is why we are dependent on the Holy Spirit of God. Because sometimes love can be really, really difficult. Sometimes you just want to start keeping score. Sometimes you just want to start keeping score to give you a reason not to love that person. He said, no, 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 the score is they have 10 strikes against me and I only have two against them. I get a pass, I don't have to love them anymore. Like we just look for that, don't we? At times we're like, no, 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 I just don't want to love them. After all, look at all the things that they've done. But let's humble ourselves and think about this. Look at all the things that we've done and Christ still loved us. His love atoned for and it covered the multitude of sins in our lives. And yet, love does not keep score. It says in this passage, it keeps no record of wrongs. This is the model. This is the standard. Love also requires hospitality. Back to our main passage in 1 Peter. Verse 9 says this, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hmm. Hmm. So, let me, I'm just going to be pretty blunt. If you consider yourself a Christian, when is the last time you've had other Christians in your home that aren't your family? 
When's the last time that there was something going on, you had an opportunity to host other Christians being in your home, and yet you were murmuring under your breath, well, I'm not doing that, I'm not cleaning the house, we're way too busy, I can't do this, I'm not going to do that, somebody else can do that. When's the last time that you've done that because all of those things would qualify as grumbling? And what we're, what we're instructed to do is offer hospitality without grumbling. Opening up not only our lives, but also our homes. Now, the context of this is not, not really talking about loving somebody who's a stranger, somebody who's outside of the faith. Now, that's important too. But the, the context of this is really to Christians, speaking to Christians, making sure that Christians offer hospitality to other Christians without grumbling. You see, when we grumble... Some things that, that vanish whenever we grumble. When we grumble, we're going to lose. We're, we're gonna, grumbling it, it tends to just drive out faith. It drives out thanksgiving and it drives out joy. Because it's a bad attitude. And you can't have a, a good attitude. You can't have a bad attitude and also expect to have joy. The two things are at odds. You just can't. You can't have a bad attitude and be like, yeah, I'm having a great day. Thank you. Like, really? By you gritting your teeth says you're going to be seeing the dentist later and you're not having that great of a day, actually. That's what this, this grumbling, we're to offer hospitality without grumbling, without doing it begrudgingly, without murmuring under our, our breath, without resenting the time that is going to be required to maybe clean our house up if, if our house isn't suitable right now. To clean our house up without resenting that, that time or the money that's required to prepare a meal for somebody if you are inclined to have a meal at your home. This is something that's supposed to define Christians. It, it was this type of togetherness that defined the early church. It says in Acts 2 that, that, they were, that the early church was together and they had everything in common. That, that everything that was important to them was, was common. They had it in common. They, they were sharing their lives with one another and opening up their homes to one another. And I just, I just tend to believe they, they didn't care how many square feet they had. I, I just don't think that they cared if the, if the grass was mowed or if there was a little dust bunny in the corner of the, of the room. I just don't believe they cared. They knew they had been changed from the inside out, and they just had to have these experiences. They longed to have these experiences with other Christians because they had been set free also. And they just wanted to be together. But of course, they didn't get it right if, all the time. If they would have gotten it right altogether, Peter wouldn't have had to say, offer hospitality without grumbling. Apparently, there were some people grumbling then too. But these are things that should define us, us as a church, and how well we open up our lives to one another without making excuses, without grumbling, without complaining about the fact that it may be inconvenient that you have to allow some time for someone else other than you or your family. You may have to allot some money for, for something other than your pleasure and your purposes but offering it to provide a service for the family of God. I think it's great that there's two different gifts that are talked about at the last part of this passage. 
the gift of serving and the gift of speaking. And of course, there's many lists of service areas in, in the New Testament, but I, I like the fact that these two are mentioned because these two create great opportunities for hospitality in and of themselves, of serving, just being able to serve. And I love how, how Peter says that. Let's look back at this passage because I really want us to drill down on this. It says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. What I I, I find really fascinating about this is on the speaking part, it was in their culture... Speaking or an orator was a really big deal. The philosophers would get up and speak, and the people would just go to just to hear people talk. And Peter is drilling down. He says, no, 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 no. Don't have people in your homes just to hear you talk. Bring Scripture into it. Talk about the goodness of God. Talk about the things of the Lord. Don't just talk as the pagans do. Don't just ramble on as the philosophers did. He says, no, 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 do it as if you're speaking the very words of God. And then he says this about serving. And I I thought this part was fascinating too. The, The serving, he says, and do it with the strength that God provides. You see, this instruction is to keep those serving from being prideful and from those being served from being humiliated. It's, it's in two parts. For those who are serving, to make sure that you're not prideful in your serving just to get your own props, but also if for somebody who's in the body of Christ to be served, to keep them from being humiliated because it's with the strength that God provides. So here's what this may look like. If you're in a serving opportunity and somebody says, wow, thank you for this, just say, to God be the glory. Or God be glorified. Or I'm blessed by God to be able to do this. That way, it keeps them from feeling humiliated and it keeps you from being prideful. You're there with the strength that God provides. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time together in Luke 10. And we're going we're gonna to see very practically how to do this. Luke 10, 25. And we're going to look at the story of the Good Samaritan. And we're going to get down to some things that we can apply to say, how can we be people of hospitality? How can we open ourselves up to someone else? And that's what we're going to see in the Good Samaritan story. And we're going to drill down on some principles from this this story. So Luke 10, 25 says this, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus replied, You answered correctly. Do this and you will live. 
but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So again, he's still not getting it. He knew the law, but he wasn't living out the law. He knew it intellectually, but he didn't know it practically, and he still got to the point where he wanted to justify himself. Notice what Jesus says next in verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and they beat him and leaving him half dead. Now the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was, was a dangerous road. It had many twists and turns. Most of it was a descent of about 3,600 feet of elevation over those miles. And it was a great place for thieves and robbers to hang out because as they would go down in all these twists and turns, the, the roads obviously were not improved. So there was a lot of places for thieves and robbers to hang out and then to steal from people who were unexpecting. And because it was one of the main thoroughfares, it was just, it was just a breeding ground for thievery. So in this story, it may be foreign to us, but it's absolutely not foreign to who Jesus is talking to, and everybody around there knew, oh, that's the road. That road's dangerous. He continues, verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the, the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. So now, a priest and a Levite, they saw this, this man, this traveler, and the traveler had to have known that the road was dangerous, so now the, the Levite and the priest, they both just walk right by. Two people who you would think they were, had, you know, the, the Levites had a deep history with being connected in service to God. They just walk on by. The priest was in service to God. He just walked on by. But not the Good Samaritan. Verse 33, but the Samaritan, as he traveled, he came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, he took him to an inn and he took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these... Three, do you think was a good neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So this is our message. Go and do likewise. Go and do what the Samaritan did. Let me just kind of help us to, to really see exactly what the Samaritan did. The Samaritan had pity on the person who was, who was hurting on the side of the road. So for us, we're, the idea of having pity, he was deeply moved. We need to be deeply moved about the affairs of other brothers and sisters in Christ. Other believers within, within the fa our, our family of God, they, they should be a concern to us. Again, jumping into what we talked about last week, your faith is not just some solo effort. Christ has brought us into 
forming a body. And we should be uh, very mindful of and very considerate of and deeply moved by what's going on in one another's lives. Notice that the Samaritan, he came to the man. He didn't wait for the man to come to him and ask for help. This is a common problem that I see even within church folks. It's like they say, well, I was right here. If they needed help, they should have just asked. But if you saw that somebody needed help, you don't need to wait until they ask. If Jesus says, go and do likewise to the expert in the law, he's saying, go and do likewise for us. If you see somebody who's in need, don't wait for them to feel like they have to grovel up to you to ask for help. Just go to them to offer the help. The reason why people don't ask us for help is because we have such a distance from them and they feel like they have to grovel in humility to come and ask for help. If you see somebody who's hurting, you take the initiative and step into that space. You have pity on that person. You should be deeply moved by seeing that person suffering or in need. So in doing so, you take the initiative. It's a very prideful position to be standoffish and say, well, I was here the whole time. They just didn't ask for help. If it's in your power to help someone, help them. If it's in your power to help someone, help them. He had pity. He was deeply moved. He came to the man. He didn't wait for the man to come to him. And notice this. He was messy close. He was messy close. Bandaging wounds, that's messy close. You know, pouring on the the oil and wine, that's messy close. I mean, that's messy close. That's not, well, here, let let me put on some latex gloves and let me mask up and here, we're going we're gonna to dress this area. Like, we're, here, we're going we're gonna to get this all cleaned up and we're going to do all this. It's like, no, 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 there was none of that. It's just messy close. It's like, they're hurting. Man, I got, I got to get in there. I, I'm going to bandage up these wounds, but before I bandage up these wounds, I'm going to pour some wine over these wounds because wine was a disinfectant. I'm going to pour some wine over this to try and disinfect the wound. That's messy close. I'm going to pour some oil. I got to put some oil over these because oil was like, a, it, it offered a soothing um, kind of characteristic over a wound. That's messy close. Like that's what the family of God's supposed to be. Messy close. Not separated in our little groups. Not here when we want to be here and then home when we don't want to be here. We need to be messy close. There's more. He administered the help that he could. He used the oil and the wine. He, he offered the help that he could. There, there are times where if it's, there, there are going to be things outside of your power to, that are outside of your power to do, and that's okay. What was in the Samaritan's power was the ability to use the oil and wine to administer what he could at the time. There is an expectation for us, if again, if it's in our power to help, to help. But if it's not in our power to help, it's okay not 
to offer the help. Allow somebody else in the family of God to offer that help. Notice that the Samaritan, he cared for him personally. He didn't pass him off to someone else. He didn't pass him off to someone else. Let me tell you what this looks like in church world. It looks like somebody who's within the church passing them off onto a church leader. That's what this looks like in real world. Oh, that's too messy for me. Go talk to the pastor. Go talk to this ministry team leader. Go talk to AJ. It's messy close, but it was messy close in, in accepting the responsibility himself and didn't, didn't pass him off onto someone else. You see, that's, that's real, isn't it? Because what Jesus is, is saying, he says, go and do likewise. He says, we need to be about this. This is a message from Jesus for us. We need to take this to heart. And he cared for him personally without just pushing him off on someone else. Notice this. He gave his own money to offer aid. He put him up in the inn. That was out of his own money. He didn't go through and say, well, how much money do you have? Let me see, let me see if you, know, we, you have enough money. I'll go do this. He took it upon himself to go offer to pay for the time in the end and also for the aid that was needed. And notice, as the storyline continued, the Samaritan made that hurting individual the priority in that moment. In that moment, the Samaritan's life stopped until all of the care was rendered for the person who was hurting. So the Samaritans saw it through all the way through. And even after the Samaritan took the person and the hurting person and brought him to the end, it didn't say, all right, you got one night, man. That's all you have. Totally left the door open to say, no, if there's something else that you need, I'm here. Like these are things that we have to be about. This is what love looks like at full stretch. This is what love looks like at full stretch. Loving is hard. Loving, loving deeply requires us to be so connected with Christ, to be so in tune with the Holy Spirit of God, to be so aware that, that all of us as, as brothers and sisters in Christ are indeed just that. We are brothers and sisters. Sisters. 